You're listening to a classic business podcast as heard on Classic 1027. In the 1920s, Hendrik Johannes van der Bell, an electrical engineer and industrialist and regarded as one of the greatest South Africans for his contribution to the country's development, brought his vision for an industrialized South Africa to life. He was the driving force behind the establishment of ESCOM and the South African Steel and Iron Corporation, ESCO, uh, with cheap inputs secured through strategic uh, state involvement in securing iron ore feedstock for ESCO and cheap electricity prices combined with cheap labor, South Africa powered ahead to become the most industrialized nation on the African continent. Fast forward uh, almost 100 years and the situation couldn't be uh, further from that. ESCOM is a more constrained to growth than Enabler as prices have skyrocketed and ESCO uh, was sold to Indian businessman Lakshmi Mittal as we know to become ArcelorMittal South Africa, Africa's biggest steel producer in the mid-2000s and is trading now as something of a penny stock, a shadow of its former glory, its workforce halved since that Lakshmi deal and the reindustrialization and steel pricing debate rages in South Africa as we look to uh, turn the situation around. Downstream consumers complain that artificially high prices are undercutting our manufacturing competitiveness, uh, but prices are kept high due to import duties granted to AMSA to combat the flood of steel from China. And by relying on subsidies in contravention of World Trade Organization rules, China was quickly able to undercut competitors globally and flood the world with cheap steel. Some producers, such as Japan, followed China's prices down, though at tremendous cost, Others refused to drop their prices, but ultimately lost market share. And just about everyone began to panic and still became the sector with the most duty-related remedies by uh, a long way. As a result, China sought out less protected markets for its steel, and a small part of that Chinese steel arrived in South Africa. And in our terms, it seemed like a lot for China, probably just a rounding error. Now, AMSA hemorrhaging cash turned to the government to impose import duties. In principle, duty should be applied as close to the consumer as possible. The further upstream you go, the more difficult it is to predict what the impact of a duty might be. And you can't get further upstream than AMSA. Now, AMSA announced yesterday that it would restart the second blast furnace at its Funderbell Park operations in January due to higher steel demand. But there is a broader question here about whether we need to protect our primary steel industry to the detriment of uh, the downstream manufacturers. To debate this, I'm joined now by Arcelor South Africa CEO Kurbis Verster, Gerard uh, Papenfuss, uh, Chief Executive of the National Employees Association of South Africa, NIASA, and Nicolette Schulthammer, Managing Director of Betterect, uh, which is a downstream steel fabricator. Oh, welcome to the show, guys. Kobus, firstly, we have been seeing some dangerous fluctuations in steel supply and pricing. Even before COVID, AMSA closed some plants, and coming back from COVID, we've uh, been seeing the steel supply drying up. You've responded by reopening the Blast Furnace C at Funderbell Park and the Ferenikin Electric Arc Furnace. Why did you wait so long if steel consumers have been complaining about a lack of supply for the last few months already? Michael, yes, I think... Uh We've based our restart plans on the market survey from our customers. So the anticipation was uh, a certain steel demand, which could be serviced from uh, a single blast furnace. I think one has to understand that uh, South Africa came into a backlog supply situation already prior to, to lockdown. And it's not purely a liquid steel production issue that created the short supply in the total value chain uh, in steel, uh, stock has been reduced by between 40 and 50%. Uh, 
So the value chain's ability to absorb shocks is a lot lower. And then, as I said, globally and in South Africa, the steel recovery is a bit better than anticipated. Nicolette, just to bring you in there on the point of pricing. Now, our Bedrect is a specialist in mild uh, and stainless steel fabrication, um, installation and corrosion protection. You work primarily, you play in the mining space. What have you seen in terms of steel pricing over the last 12 months? Extremely volatile and it really has impacted our ability to remain internationally competitive to the point where 12 months ago we were winning a lot of international work and just to say that there is still a lot of international work, large projects, high volume tonnage projects available internationally into Africa, into South America, into North America and you know because of the input steel prices and the fluctuations and the increases that we, we've seen, I mean there's another one coming literally tomorrow on the 1st of October, uh, it, you know, it's basically put us in a position where we are being told by our clients that we are now 10% out on pricing. And I think when you look at the duties and the safeguards that are currently in place, obviously protect, protecting the prim, primary producer AMSA, you know, that 10% could be given to the downstream and all of a sudden there's this massive increase in, in demand or, you know, supply because we can all of a sudden compete internationally. and. The steel prices are, in my opinion, one of the biggest constraints to growth in the industry at the moment. And we know that uh, that 10% is, is part of, uh, uh, as you said, uh, the, the, the government-imposed protection for the industry. Gerard, from the ASSA's uh, perspective, I know you've been a, a long-time critique of, of that decision, uh, or, or critic, I should say, you, you, you've critiqued that uh, decision in the past. What really stands out for you in this whole debate around whether we need a primary steel uh, producer? Because some argue that if we do let the primary steel industry go the way of Australia, for example, it did have very detrimental effects of the downstream industry in Australia shortly thereafter. Uh, why do you believe that we don't necessarily need a primary steel producer? I think it's, uh, it's beneficial for a country to, to have a, a primary steel producer, but uh, then that producer needs to be competitive. Currently, that's not the case. The steel price is 20% uh, higher than the international steel price. That's why there's the 18% duties that currently apply. So, you know, we are, uh, the downstream is uncompetitive to start off with. So our view is if Amsterdam wants to be a player in the market, they need to be competitive. And there are many reasons why they are not competitive, but the point is that the downstream cannot pay for that. I mean, uh, Amsterdam will say it's, uh, you know, there's, the, the, there's electricity, there's transport. Uh, that may be the case, but the point is the downstream is paying for that and it's making us uncompetitive. And the downstream is continuously losing jobs. And uh, we're talking a percentage of three or of three to four hundred thousand jobs. So uh, the, the downstream is bleeding. And uh, I can say with confidence today that uh, there's a huge amount against AMSA uh, in the downstream and it's on all levels just below below. And uh, so it's the point, and, and that is uh, what I'm told continuously, AMSA's got to go. Unless they can make a plan to become competitive, they have no place in, in this space. And, and during COVID and now with the current shortages, that's, that is just emphasized the problem. 
Corbis, back in 2050, when government uh, granted you this intervention, uh, it was published with certain conditions with regards to f the first round of duties. Uh, they included substantial investment, no price increases and no retrenchments. Have you complied with those conditions? Michael, firstly, uh, duties is imposed to protect an industry, not a company. In South Africa, we are the primary producer of flat. On the long side, there's many alternative competitors who also enjoy duty protection, as well as subsidized scrap prices. Then duties is not commoner. We are of the least protected markets in the world. All other countries have much more duties and other interventions uh, imposed on us. In terms of our commitment, our pricing is linked to a formula prescribed by government. So uh, in terms of an index with international prices, our prices go up and down. And contrary to general, uh, I mean, if you talk about prior to COVID from April up to the increase that Nicolette referred to, our prices has increased by 10%. The base price for hot oil coal was 10,000, it moved to 11,000. So over this COVID period, 10% increase, value exchange rate had moved by negative 13%, international prices are up 20%. So uh, if you look at the real facts around the issue, our prices have actually been relative stable, increasing in line with international prices and in line with the prescribed formula from government. We can now increase prices or we would like to increase prices further uh, but we can't. We are limited in terms of the basket. Nicolette, does that, uh, uh, certainly, uh, it doesn't sound like uh, it, uh, it really washes with your experience and what you're saying about being uncompetitive globally. Uh, what is the price increase that's due for tomorrow? So the price increase that's coming tomorrow is 750 rand a tonne. And just to maybe go back to that basket pricing structure in itself for me is such a fascinating concept that in an open and fair market, you are not actually pricing your product as to what you can price it as. You are taking what the global prices are and throwing them all in a bucket and mushing them about and saying, okay, great guys, this is what we're selling it for. Um, you know, so that's, that's a whole nother discussion in itself, this, this basket pricing strategy that, that AMSA is allowed to employ. Uh, you know, I would very much like that all the fabricators in South Africa can also do that internationally and, you know, put all our prices in a bucket and we get to charge what we charge. But that's not a free and fair market. And just recently, as in last week, we did a pricing exercise for an 800 ton heavy engineering project for North America. And the feedback that we got was that, you know, in Latin America, the current price in dollars for steel is about anywhere, obviously, depending on what product you're buying for a hot rolled product, either flat or, you know, sections, is anywhere between $580 to $680 a ton. And I appreciate that these exchange rates implications in certain things, and it might not be a one-to-one -one basis, but if you're using the current exchange rate of 16-odd rand to the dollar, we are basically paying double in South Africa. So, Gerard, you know, obviously, if you say 20%, I'm saying we're paying 100% in some instances. So, how are we meant to compete internationally when our input steel price at the onset is almost 
to higher than our competitors internationally. It's, it's ludicrous. And that is the existential quibus. The existential problem here is yeah. that some argue that this duty is just exacerbating this, this problem because it drove up the import of downstream products. If we talk about effectively a duty of 10%, I know Gerrit referred to the safeguards of 8%, but imports are coming mostly from Russia and Turkey, which is exempt from the safeguards. So if there's a 10%, the only difference in price can be 10%. So how can we talk about 100% or 20%? It's just totally not. Uh, you can then still import from Russia or Turkey or other places, and, and the max delta can be 10%. Yes, but we're talking about landed in Joburg. So obviously, if a primary producer in Mexico per se is, you know, manufacturing with their iron ore in Mexico, then you can concede that it's more than 10%. Because a 10% duty is after the thing's gone on a ship on a brake belt load when you're importing 13 meter long beams. So yes, it's not just going to be on a 10% basis with the duty, because obviously there's all the logistics costs that then come onto the, the freight of the steel. So it has to be you know, we have to look at what the cost is, obviously, you know, in that country, in country, what the fabricators are able to purchase the steel for, land, you know, landed in their workshops. And it's not just 10%. Kerbis, it's about yeah, comparing apples with apples. You can't, expect, you can't expect us to subsidize the transport to Mexico or to the U.S. If you look at the U.S., prices are pretty much on par with South Africa. So if you do export to the U.S., you have to pay transport or freight rates, and then you have to pay 25% duty into, into the U.S. So uh, whatever lower price you can get in South Africa, you will not be competitive into the U.S. Gerard, if you look at the problem, um, you've got a 10% customs duty, you've got a 12% safeguard duty on, on certain primary products. The measures appear to have encouraged industry to import finished goods and those are often subject to lower duties and are more competitive and they were produced locally from, from AMSA steel. And so there are duties in place to protect some locally manufactured goods. The downstream sector is, is far too broad to protect all of them. Yeah, that's, uh, that is not a practical solution. Um, this is simply impossible. The, the infrastructure and our team in, in terms of uh, you know, our ports, you know, our stuff will lie at the ports forever. And uh, this will just open the thing for more corruption. I don't think the whole spectrum is simply too wide. Uh, I don't think that's an option. I, um, you know, there are many downstream role players that ask for that, but uh, that's not a solution. Uh, the, the, the solution is dropping the uh, uh, duties right at the top. And I just want to point out uh, that in respect of the so-called basket price, this is referring to China doesn't form... Uh, isn't part of the basket price. And China's steel is, 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 is the cheapest steel. And, you know, there's much critique towards China, the fact that they are uh, allegedly subsidized and so on. But the fact is they are, a, they are a role player in the market. We cannot ignore China. And if we don't buy from them, then somebody else buy from them, and then, and then we can't compete in those countries. Now, um, the basket price, if China is excluded, that is not a reflection of the real situation, uh, we've got to we've got to um, uh, recognize that there's a big role player. Last month in August, China produced 60 percent of steel in the world. Now, if America has duties against China, they can perhaps afford it because they they are competition in America. So, 
uh, for America, it's just not a big issue. It is a huge issue in South Africa where, where uh, AMSA um, has the monopoly. The fact is, at this very moment, because of the duties, we are killed. Downstream is, is losing, and I, and I, and I mean, the, we are facing with a situation where there is anger. Businesses are going out of business, uh, are cutting back, and people are retrenched at the moment, and we're talking about large numbers. So, and, 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 and uh, the point is the, the, the downstream one now wants to, has to import also, but they're caught on the back foot. It's, it's, it is, you can't start importing now. The downstream, if we, if we have to import, then we need time to structure. If AMSA closes tomorrow, the, the downstream will be in severe trouble because he's simply not, we're simply not in a position uh, to, to import. Although the big role players tell me we can, we will cope without AMSA. And I'm, uh, and, and I don't say it lightly because I've had this conversation with many big role players and say, yes, give us a bit of time. We'll fill that space. So I don't know in whose interest it is for AMSA to persist playing in this space. Whilst the downstream say to them, we don't need you here. Kubis, how do you respond to that? Uh, the, the fact that uh, the downstream and some of the big players are saying that they could survive without a primary producer? I'm, I don't agree with that. I mean, I'm talking to, to my customers. I'm talking to a large variety of uh, players in the market that understands the industry, that is very appreciative of what AMSA is currently doing given the current supply dynamics to support them and support the industry. What AMSA is doing to support value-added exports uh, to the tune of half a billion rand a year, where we try to make downstream players competitive. So uh, when we talk about, I've got a different message. Uh, a lot of loyal customers uh, who, when we talk about the current short-term supply, we've based our projections on what we've seen from customer expectations. Obviously, everybody was uh, uh, caught a bit off guard. But what you should also remember, the merchants and the intermediates in the country has reduced their stock holdings, as I said earlier, by 40 to 50 percent. Some of these shocks should be absorbed by those players in the market. Your primary steel producer is not generally responsible for holding stock. And in terms of a longer term, I mean, there's no country in the world that can have a steel manufacturing industry without a primary steel uh, producer. And uh, AMSA uh, will be here tomorrow and next year and years to come. Now, Kubis, uh, there's a sense that AMSA and, and government, to some extent, have created a, a sort of a false dichotomy. You say either give us the duty and you survive or, or don't and you fail. But you've had the duty for three years and every year you seem financially to be doing worse than the year before. So maybe the effect of the duty is not only that AMSA is now doing worse, but as uh, collateral damage, you're also destroying a large chunk of the downstream sector. Michael, we are missing the, 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 the core problem here. South Africa's growth has been uh, almost negative for how long? Apparent steel consumption in South Africa has reduced from 6 million tons to 4.5 million tons last year. Most probably would be 3.5 million tons this year. So uh, we have a total overcapacity of steel supply. And we're talking hot-rolled coil here. 
third of the market is long products, where there is substantial competition uh, supported by government in, the ter in terms of funding, as well as, uh, as scrap protection. So the long steel market in South Africa, our competitors get their input material substantially cheaper than anybody else in the world. So we're talking about a part of the uh, uh, equation. What we need is economic growth and we need protection for the downstream industry. It's easy to say uh, we don't need a primary steel producer and then we will be like uh, Australia importing everything from China. Is that a problem, Gerard, for you, if we were to import everything from China, which uh, produces the cheapest steel in the world? Uh, I say no, it, it isn't. And, uh, you know, the that, uh, you know, uh, is once we don't have our own primary steel producer, China will start manipulating the price. But that is not true because China sells to the world. There's a price. China, China uh, steel mills are competing with each other. And if we don't buy from China, we can buy it elsewhere. We can buy it from other places in Europe and Korea and and from Japan. It's not j only China. We don't have to buy uh, 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 buy from China. The point is, um, you know, if you take Vietnam as, as an example, Vietnam uh, didn't have a primary steel producer. Uh, the, the industry in, in, in Vietnam uh, grew 20-fold, and, and now there is a primary steel producer. The primary steel producer came into a huge steel market in Vietnam and, and started, then, mm. then built a, 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 a steel mill. So, um, you know, they did it after they were growing the market. We are trying to retain a steel producer in the market, and that very thing which we say we need is destroying the, the, the downstream. Um, uh, there is simple, simply at this moment not sympathy for Amsa. And I must say, I think, you know, uh, I talked to a, huge, a large number of, uh, of uh, players in the downstream, the big, bigger guys, and my message is different. And I, I think they feel a bit intimidated to, to be uh, totally honest with, uh, with Amsa. Because they they know they to some extent they are reliant on AMSA. When when they talk to me and, and and when they talk to me they they ask me not to quote them. So I don't think you know it's it's a matter of survival, and uh, and 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 I don't know there might be a day where uh, uh, AMSA International pulls the plug on AMSA and that day will be will be a, a, a quite a severe situation. So I say we can import. It will be a difficult period. There, there will be. A, for the interim, a bit of turmoil, but we cannot continue like mm -hmm. it is. Mm -hmm. um, this is a battle for survival at the moment. Kubis the to, Kubis, to that point, uh, the, the, the major shareholder, Lakshmi Mittal, um, uh, is surely looking at uh, its subsidiary here in, in South Africa and wondering uh, for how much longer it can continue funding a loss-making organization. You've embarked on a, a process of uh, extracting efficiencies uh, through the business. Um, uh, is that a major concern for you, that um, are you starting to lose support from your primary shareholder? Michael, before I answer that question, let me just refer to Vietnam. You have a, you have a country where the economic growth rate is 7 to 8% per year for an extended period of time, where growth in steel manufacturing followed that and actually increased by that. So currently, Vietnam is 15 million tons. They're the 16th largest steel producing, primary steel producing country in the world. 
And if they import mainly from China, their cost of transport most probably is $10 and not $30, $40 from logistically where we are. So a total different dynamic and also a country that imposes duties on imports into their country. Coming to the ArcelorMittal uh, shareholder and support, I don't think we or myself is looking at longer term what, uh, uh, shareholder bailout. We have been embarking on a transformation program in terms of our business, uh, which the results are actually starting to be very evident. In the first quarter of this year, the company was profitable. Despite us losing almost 400 million due to load shedding and transport uh, interruptions. And obviously, quarter two COVID is a different uh, situation. So my focus is to make us cost competitive and have a sustainable business model that do not rely on shareholder support, because I cannot think that the uh, entity can in for, uh, I mean, shareholders must probably put in closer to 18 billion rand over the last 10 years, uh, I cannot ask for more. I think bottom line is we do need to start seeing growth. There are, there's a lot of talk about infrastructure plans and programs, but at this stage, still just talk. We need to start seeing some action. Nicolette, last word uh, from, from the downstream. Um, how sustainable is the status quo for you and your business? Well, we, we've been very agile on our feet. I think a lot of downstream players have been to still be, you know, if you're still alive, you've had to be very quick and quick thinking. But I fear that if the if the current steel price continues on this vein, increases every month to two months, I, I do think it's just going to continue to hemorrhage people and players. And, you know, once that capacity is gone in South Africa, it, it will take decades and decades to replace it. And as we've seen, one of the re-rollers, uh, Duferco, recently withdrew from South Africa as well. That's unfortunately all the time we have for today. Thank you very much uh, to all our panelists, uh, Arsene uh, Mittal, South Africa CEO, Kurbis Fester, Gerard Papenfuss, Chief Executive of uh, NIASA, and Nicolette Scholthammer, Managing Director of Betrate Downstream Steel Fabricator.